It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday and we are here uh, with two great guests as always. Talk about talent, talented people, and everything we can do to improve our workplaces, improve ourselves, and, and so much more. So, you know, if this is the first time you happen to be tuning into the show, welcome. Hope you'll come back and listen to many more guests in the future. Um, or if you haven't been here in a while, maybe a little bit of a reminder on how we do things here. So uh, this show is really designed uh, to allow you to listen in on, on the conversation I'm going to have with someone really smart and cool that is talking about talent and interested in um, uh, things that we might want to think about in our workplaces. And instead of me being the only one that gets to hear all the things that they might come up with or the good ideas they might have, really decide to put this on the air and let you listen in and and pick uh, your own uh, maybe nuggets uh, that you can take back uh, for yourself. So um, there's been so many great stories, so many great things have come out of these interviews that I never expected that um, I even decided to put them in a book. It's called The Power of Company Culture. You can find it on Amazon. You can go to my publisher, Kogan Page's website and find it there. But really, uh, the, the, so many guests had so many great stories over the last five years, so many leaders, so many bits of wisdom that uh, we really developed this entire methodology and uh, idea about what we think uh, the greatest cultures in the world seem to always be talking about and always be really good at. So love for you to check that out. Um, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And most of you, though, kind of come in and get us on the podcast. You ping us on iTunes. Maybe you subscribe. A lot of you listen to us on iHeartRadio. Thank you so much. Um, and we have over 10,000 of you a day tuning into one of our podcasts or live shows uh, on various platforms. So thank you, everyone, for being a part of the show. And, and one of our kind of big things that we've been trying to do more of this year is to have more that interactive conversation using Twitter as our medium, um, although you can certainly do it anywhere else you see our stuff. Um, but we'd love to have you tweet us a question. Uh, use the hashtag Talent Talk. You can send it to at PeopleG2 right now if you want to try to get my producer, Mike, to feed it to me while I'm talking to the guest. Um, but even if it's after the show, you can ask questions and make comments and send us guest suggestions. Um, we'll certainly keep that conversation alive as long as you're using that hashtag Talent Talk. Um, and especially if you send it to at PeopleG2, we'll see it right away. So um, let's go ahead and get to my guest today. As I mentioned, we will have two. Um, my first guest will be Carrie Ulrich, the CEO and co-founder of the Abrasi Group. And then we'll have uh, Emma Bridger, the director of People Lab, in after the commercial break. But let's go ahead and jump in with my first guest. Uh, Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So let's kick things off here. Let's start with what's important for us to know about you and, of course, to know about your company as it relates to our conversation here today. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's interesting as I was thinking about this. I never thought I'd be in HR. So the fact that I have my own company and we're talking about HR just kind of is trippy to me at all times. So <laughs> my background actually is psychology, peace and conflict resolution, international relations, hostage negotiation. And in fact, all of those things did lead me to an HR career, especially hostage negotiation. I would say that I use a lot in HR. Um, and the skills. So I actually kind of got into HR after I graduated and worked in mainly Fortune 500 companies and most recently a startup. So I was really excited about HR and the power that it has and how it can change the lives of individual people and then also impact the company. So I really like that. So I was working with someone 
I met her when I was in Wisconsin, and we talked about starting our own company one day, but it's kind of like, you know how everyone talks about it. You're like, yeah, maybe we'll start it one day, whatever. And then the stars aligned, and we both moved to Southern California, and last year we started a Brachi group, and we wanted to be an HR consulting firm that maybe was a little bit different. So there's a lot of great consulting firms out there. They do strategy work and they do engagement and cultural work, and I'm so impressed. And they have this great kind of cultural and, and consultant speak. And Kelly, my co-founder, and I don't speak like that. We're pretty down to earth, a lot of no BS. There's quite a bit of swearing at times. And uh, we thought, yeah, maybe too much. But um, so we thought, you know, we really need to kind of say who we are as a Bracci group. And we need to put that on the website. And we need people to understand who we are right away because we don't want to waste anyone's time. If you don't want us, we're, a, you know, a certain type of taste, then don't work with us. And that's fine. And there's these wonderful people out there that you could, that you could be a part of that you don't have to work with us. And it's funny because we really took a lot of time to put that on our website and who we are. And we've had some of our clients say, oh, I love it. I get who you are right away. And Kelly and I like to joke that there's probably people on the other side who went, ew, I don't need your, I don't need you to talk straight to me and I don't need that kind of stuff. So no, thank you. And so for us, it's great because the website's that first filter. And when we started Abracci Group, it was what is the name, which all people have to go through. And Abracci means embrace in Italian. And we thought about it. Definitely wasn't our first choice. It was probably down like, I don't know, the 40th or 50th choice. And we really thought about it, and we thought, you know, there's two things for embrace. One, we do like to hug, and that's great. But also, we really do embrace the human drama and the human talent issues. And there's a lot of people who say, I would never be in HR. That stuff, oh, you have to deal with harassment or pregnancies or people just don't get along. And we actually run toward it. It's like fire, fire people who, you know, the firemen and women who run toward a fire. I feel like sometimes in HR, we're running toward that. Like, oh, no, we'll do the layoffs. Oh, no, we'll have those tough conversations. Whereas most people want to avoid it. So we thought, you know, that embrace really uh, encompasses what we do in embracing that human drama. And so for our company, we really look at kind of two things. One is loving and respecting the HR profession and wanting to help it develop. And we do that through our HR Warrior book and workshops. And then also for on the company side, we do a lot with leaders around coaching, um, on-site HR supports and diagnostics if they don't have um, an HR team. And then also a lot of talent interventions around team building, assessments, you know, what do we do around turnover? We need better leadership classes. We need succession planning. We've never done it. So we kind of do the gamut on the talent side. Well, that's quite a bit for us to know. And uh, you, you said a lot in there. <laughs> so <about> maybe <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll kind of try to go back to somewhere in the beginning of that, which was, you know, you said that you hadn't intended on getting into HR. And it's funny, we've yeah. heard that story more than once on this show that, <laughs> People take one turn and they find themselves, you know, in the heart of people, um, pe good good people stuff and bad people stuff. And mm -hmm. but being able to, because of their unique skills and talents, to be able to come in and make an impact there. So um, you now have a lengthy background in talent management and HR. You know, what is it that you're seeing in companies today that maybe differs from several years ago? We've, we've come through this big recession. Yeah, mm -hmm. unemployment rates have changed. Uh, politics have changed quite a bit. Um, but what do you believe that HR can can really be the voice of this sort of maybe transformation or change? But you know, what what are you kind of seeing now compared to if you look just over your shoulder from a few years ago? Even when I look a few years ago, what I've really seen, and this is you know HR follows HR is a company, so within the company it follows where the culture is going, and so we're demanding more transparency as a culture. We're be we have lots more information at our fingertips. We know what's going on. I know what's going on at this company. I know what this person gets, gets paid. Um, and also, I think many of us are on this path, whether we want to or not at times, to be more self-actualized because you have more information. And now all of a sudden, you know, I should sleep eight hours a night. Oh, see, I didn't know that before. And now I know it. So I kind of have to wrestle with that issue now, right? I'm becoming a self-actualized person, even though I might not want to at times. So I think that translates into the company as well. 
So we have all this information. And so how do companies, they can't escape what's going on in the culture. So they see that employees are much more demanding on development. And it's in the college-educated employees as well as the non-college-educated. We were just with a manufacturing firm and someone working on third shift. So you could almost kind of give that stereotype of, like, they're just getting their paycheck, they're on third shift, they get a differential, they're happy. And he really wants, and he's younger, and he really wants to know what's going on. He wants to know the numbers. He wants to know his career. So they really want development. Now it looks different for everyone, so never everyone's kind of individualized. They don't want that kind of staid career plan that I'm going to be there for 20 or 30 years. They want to know what's going on. And then they want to know, hey, are you doing something for the community? Now, some people want that. It's important. Some people don't. But I think that values match of a company. So what I want in my life kind of matches what the company likes and what the company wants is so important. It probably wasn't important even like five or ten years ago, but certainly not like 20 or 30. You just went to the company because it was the big employer in the town or it was a good name and you went there. And so I think because of that, this is really hard for leaders to manage. I think we kind of make it seem like, oh, you just have to manage. You're a people leader. You can do it. It's really hard. Their jobs aren't actual people leaders. They start in sales and operation and engineering. And so HR is so critical to this change and helping leaders navigate this human side. That is our job. So where we used to be more compliant because people were more monolithic, we didn't have to worry as much about, well, what does Chris want versus Carrie versus Kelly versus Terry? And now we have to figure that out. And now we have to figure out, oh, my gosh, something just leaked on Twitter. How are we going to manage that as well? And so we need to understand the human side. We need to know the psychology, the talent, the future trends, the artificial intelligence. We have to, be, we have to know economics. We have to know culture. And we need to be the voice because it is our job to be the voice for the employees. And that transformation and really helping the organization push forward with being more productive and the knowledge economy and all that great stuff. And so others aren't thinking about it as much as we are. We need to be. We need to be in HR that we're upset. We're also thrilled when the people's stuff goes sideways or goes right. And so we are the voice of that transformation and organizational change because no one else is really focusing on the human side of it. That's our job. And so that compliance stuff, that's great. We need to do that. Absolutely. But we really need to focus on the psychology of this changing culture as a whole and then how it changes within our company. So you're really trying to get companies to do the next right thing and, and really focus on where they should be. But often that really gets into challenging their ideas of what should be or challenging to get them to go past what is the status quo. Because often people say, well, we're okay. Right. I mean, we're not we could be better. We know that, but we're fine. You know, so how do you get people to kind of look past that and, and push forward to go to something better if they're not quite there yet themselves, but you can see it and they have brought you in to at least talk about it? How do you get them to kind of push through that? I think that's the hardest part. And when I had a uh, bigger HR team, we talked about you have to meet people where they're at. So if you're too far ahead, they really don't listen, but you don't want to be too far behind and not kind of push them. And so when we talk to clients, our model is really consultative. So we talk about let's do some assessment, psychometric assessment, just to understand the leadership team, so understand the psychology of that team. We also do interviews with employees and managers. So it's one thing if someone says, hey, we have a turnover issue. What do you think? And we could easily say, uh, let me tell you. You know, this turnover is due to the uh, manager because that tends to be the most, you know, the reason people leave. And here's our model, and here's how we're going to help your managers. And they could say, well, you didn't really listen to us, and we're not really sure if that, you're not really in it with us. Um, and so it's kind of a distancing kind of model. We go in, we say, let's interview everyone. We might have our ideas. We might see what's going on. We're like, let's interview everyone. Let's collect data, and then let's talk to you about it. And so then we talk to them and we say, hey, here's what we heard. So it's not just us anymore. It's not just a Brachi group saying, here's what it is. Um, but it's the whole company saying, here's what, they're, here's what they need, here's what, they're, what they desire. And I think the fact that they've actually asked us means they're in some kind of pain and they want to push forward. Um, 
it is still scary, even though, you know, I might say I want to lose 10 pounds. But when you tell me, Chris, that I have to eat right and exercise, I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to lose 10 pounds now. And so we got to figure out a way to tie it to their business results, to tie it to their goals, and to tie it to how their life will get better. So that's, that's what, but it's really hard. I think it's some of the hardest work that HR has to do is um, challenging that status quo, pushing enough, as we like to say, how much do you poke the bear, which is good, but you don't need that bear to bite you. <laughs> you want the client to keep inviting you back. So you have to manage that tension, and it's a really tough tension to manage. Yeah, and as you said, that's one of the harder things you have to do as a consultant mm -hmm. or someone coming in is they, uh, I'm sure it's, uh, like you said, for a diet or uh, maybe a personal trainer, you, you, people know they need to do something, but then when they have to do the hard work, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit more mm -hmm. difficult. So. Mm -hmm. um, how does how do you think then the HR department can kind of break that model of being that personnel-driven body? Uh, we, we've heard this before of being that more tactical place, right, where they're filling out forms or handling you know those types of things. They're more the strate strategic force. I mean, how do they kind of? Mm -hmm. uh, I probably have seen more HR people at conferences. They have the most access to ideas and and things, but yet they need to turn around and, and be able to go in the organizations and deliver some of these strategic ideas and initiatives to really help the company. Do you have any suggestions for an HR person listening today on how they can be more effective in that manner? Yeah, this is one of, I'm so passionate about this. In fact, my one of my former colleagues and I have a book coming out in September called The Way of the HR Warrior, because again, so passionate about how does HR push help the company push forward and be strategic. But I think the number one, if I step back, though, regardless of how great my skills are, if the executive leadership does not want to have a strategic HR team, and there I have worked with some, and they really just don't want it. They just want someone to do compliance, and they don't want to talk about engaging the employees. They're just not there yet, um, and some of them just, it will take them a really long time. You have to have an executive leadership team who wants to have that HR. Then you need this great HR leader, and I think... What we talk about is the skills that we talk about in, in our book are not knowing any laws. It's not anything compliance. It's not knowing payroll. It's how you present yourself. So it's how you understand the business. It's how resilient you are. Um, it's how much of integrity you have. And so you need to have that basic skill to then talk with the business leaders. And I think I have been told many times that I'm not like, oh, you're not like HR which makes me sad and happy at the same time. So I'm like, well, that's good. I've made a made an impact. And they're like, that's, you know, that's good. But at the same time, it makes me sad for the profession that the reason they're saying that is because they have such a negative view of HR. And so when someone's not negative and when someone doesn't fall into that stereotype, they're pleasantly surprised. So I think you need that executive leadership. You need a great HR leader. You need to have basic HR skills. You need to be embedded in the business which people talk about, it's not necessarily knowing the profit and loss exactly, but it's knowing we were just at a client site and my business partner said, oh, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't train because your capacity, you're at 93% capacity. Maybe we shouldn't do it right now. Is there another time where your capacity is lower? And the, the vice president said, I, I can't believe you know capacity numbers. She's like, well, yeah, I have to know capacity numbers. That impacts how we're going to work with you. And so I think knowing that business, be, just being a business person, if you think about it, you're a business person who's, who's um, in charge of the human beings, that's really important. That's how you have to think of it. And so, and you cannot answer any question with, you're breaking the law, here's the compliance. I've worked with HR people who literally have copied policy in an email from the handbook, put it in an email and send it to the leader. That's not, that's not what we need. That's very automated, by the way. There's these great tools that you can search laws and overtime and meal and rest periods and all that great stuff. But you still need to have this human understanding of what's going on in the culture, what the leaders need in order to present that. So we cannot answer questions anymore with breaking law, unless it's really bad, and don't get me wrong, and I get it. But, um, but for the most part, that's the minority of the time. Yeah, and... So I'm kind of wondering, are there certain things that you're seeing companies are consistently struggling with? Um, you know, you're, we've talked about a couple of different areas, but is there anything else that maybe we, we left out that you're you're kind of seeing as a regular 
issue or complaint or desire for, for companies that you're, you're kind of going in and helping? Yeah, I think some of the most common things are around I don't, the leaders don't know what to do anymore, right? Um, they have some poor leaders. They have people who have been promoted because of their technical expertise, and now they're people managers because they didn't know how to keep rewarding them. So we really need leadership skills. And they might have a good foundation. They're not like, they're not horrible people. Do you know what I mean? They're just, it's really hard to be a people leader. And so like, how do I manage all this? And how do I manage the complexity of, okay, I still have to know laws. Like, heck, I'm in California. There's a lot more kind of employment laws that I have to understand. Um, But I just don't know how to talk to people. And maybe no one's talked to me that way and talked to had a career discussion. And now I have to figure that out. And so that is far and beyond leadership skills, leadership skills, leadership skills. And then right behind that is, okay, there's an actual, there's an actual skill gap. Like people actually don't know how to do this technical thing where it could be engineering, it could be manufacturing, but people are actually having a struggle with the technical skills as well. And then also, um, how do I manage turnover? What's that good turnover number? What's that poor turnover? How do I help people manage like their careers? How do I have a pipeline um, where I have a skill set gap? Again, with leadership, I'm going to retire, and then do I have people behind so behind me to take my job? But I think overall, the top one is really just leadership skills, and I don't know how to manage people, and I'm really struggling. I want to, but I just don't know how to do it. Right, right. Well. Sounds like, you know, there's a lot of similarities between uh, what some companies are dealing with. But I kind of heard that one that you know, some film leaders just don't know what to do anymore. And I, I hear mm-hmm. that all the time, that they have mm-hmm. hit their frustration level. And sometimes they need new ideas. Sometimes they need help. Sometimes they need new people. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. the, the, the solution is different, but the problem seems to be the same. Um, they maybe hit that wall that they, and they need help. So... Um, you know, one of the things that we've enjoyed asking our guests um, this year, sort of a new thing we've been diving into is, you know, looking at your process, your individual process, and wondering if there's an app or a gadget or something that you've added maybe to your life this year that maybe other people should look at or think about using or, or um, you know, adding to their process. Is there anything like that that you might share with us? Uh, yeah, as a, as a consultant now, I had to be more structured with my hours. So we actually use a tool called Hours, and it tracks all your hours. And it's kind of just really good to see where am I spending my time. Um, as a consultant, you need to bill your clients, so that's really helpful. We use Asana to track our to-dos, which is really helpful because it's a shared platform. And then also one of the things that we love, and it gets to, Chris, what you were saying about leaders and the struggle with leadership, we love um, to start with self-awareness. So we use the Caliper assessments, which is out of New Jersey, and they have a talent analytics so we can look at the whole team and kind of how they're processing and, and how they're motivated and what their strengths and developmental needs are. So that really helps us. Those are the things that I'm using right now that help me. And and that sounds really fascinating. I'm sure there's a lot of people that could use those different um, different tools or different apps. Um, so hours. I mean, I can remember that one. And the other one you said was Calpers. Is that correct, or did I say that wrong? Caliper. Yeah. No, oh, it's Caliper. Caliper. Like the mechanics. Caliper. Mm-hmm. And, Caliper. And like I said, they're they've been around since like the 50s, doing psychometric assessments, and it's one of my favorite ones. And we use it a lot with leaders because. For leaders to be a better leader, you have to understand yourself and your triggers and your motivations. And if you don't get those and get comfortable with those, it's really difficult then for you to manage other people. So that's why we love that one. And how about books? I mean, uh, you're you're a pretty sharp person. You have a lot of good ideas. So I'm going to guess that maybe you've read a few books recently. Is there one that you (laughs) might suggest our audience check out or add to their reading list? Oh, Chris, I appreciate you thinking that I've actually read. I have a stack <laughs> of like nine books on my nightstand that I say every night, man, I'm really going to dig in. Um, but then I say I should probably do new business development. Um, there's a couple things that are on the, the list. One is just looking at uh, I have a son, and so there's a book called Boys Adrift, which is about the growing epidemic of under-motivated and underachieving young men is really fascinating to me because that will impact the workforce. We already see 
college graduates for men going down. So like you have a whole gender that is struggling with things. So how, what is that? How is that going to impact the workforce in the future? Um, I also have a book on called Mindset. So it's about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And I yeah. think that will help leaders as well. Carol Dweck, um, that's an I'm excellent big, book. That should yeah, be at the top of your list yeah. if I can pick for you. But go ahead. Can you? Thank you. Well, listen, it, like I said, it's a stack of nine. I counted. I was like embarrassed. So I will put that one on the top. And then uh, one of the other ones that I am embarrassed that I have not read that everyone tells me about is Crucial Conversations. And I have not done that one. So I have not read that yet. So on my list. So, so you didn't ask for my advice, but I'm going to share with you how I got over the nine books on your, on your uh, nightstand there. And, and that is to, now for me, this work may not work for everybody, but I, if I tell someone I'm going to be somewhere, I'm, I, you know, unless something emergency happens, I'm, I show up, I'm going to be there. I feel, you Mm -hmm. know, social pressure to show up and be where I say I'm going to be. Mm -hmm. So I created a book club and once a month we read a book. And so it's my job to show up and facilitate that book club. And so I feel pressure to read the book and not show up right. and be an idiot um, and not have read the book <laughs> that everyone else read. So you might want to do one at work or with your friends or, you know, potential clients or whatever. I found that just that changed everything for me. Now I get at least one book in a month, as well as That's switching great. to Audible so that I could listen because I would have time in the mm-hmm. car or on the treadmill or at soccer practices. And that didn't always have the hardcover with me, and I found I listened a lot more than I would have set time away to read. So maybe that'll help you, maybe it'll help someone I, else listening. I love that. That's a great idea. And we could just do it at a brachy group. Why not? We could there do you it go. Book club. There yep. you go. And then we'll get it done because we're goal-oriented. So you're right. Then yeah. do you need a goal for it? Yep. Perfect. So h- how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Uh, Why do you have you speak or have you uh, come work with them or whatever it may be? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Best way is you can go on our website, which is just abracigroup.com. There's a contact, and it goes to me. Uh, LinkedIn is great, too. I'm on that all the time. And that's easy. And then it's also carry.ulrich at Group. So easy peasy. Now, I'm sure someone out there is saying, how do I spell that? So I have it as A-B-B-R-A-C-C-I. <laughs> exactly. Right? Group. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. So, Carrie, thank you so much for all your great insights, being a part of the show, and giving our listeners something they can use uh, in their careers and throughout their experience going forward. Uh, hopefully, we have you come back at some point and give us an update and all the other cool things that you're doing. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job. Your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Do you want a free analysis of your inbound marketing? Do you want it in 30 seconds or less? Then check out Marketing Grader, the free marketing tool from HubSpot. It's simple. Just go to MarketingGrader.com. Enter the URL that you want to analyze, and Marketing Grader will instantly give you a detailed report grading your lead generation, mobile marketing, social media, competitive benchmarking, and more. It's simple, it's powerful, and it's free. 
marketinggrader.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, we just missed a great guest. If you didn't catch the first one, uh, but you can listen back on our podcast. You can go to talenttalkradio.com. You can find us on iTunes or iHeartRadio as Talent Talk, all one word. Love to have you check us out and look at our past shows. We've had five years of awesome guests, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff there to check out. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump in with my next guest. Who's uh, coming in uh, via Skype, uh, Emma Bridger, the director of People Lab. Um, and don't forget, you can send us your questions, your comments, anything. Keep the conversation going by sending your tweets to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk. But Emma, thank you so much for joining the show. Welcome. Hi. Hi. You're very, very good to be with you guys this evening. Yeah, Thanks it's for evening, evening for you and uh, afternoon for us. So where exactly are you in the world? Uh, I'm in the UK. I'm in a, a town called Hastings that you guys probably wouldn't have heard of. Um, I've heard of Hastings. Famous- the Battle of Hastings, yeah, yes, 1066, yes. all that. So, yeah, yeah. So, I'm here this evening in coming to you live from my bedroom. So, apologies for the uh, the background, but you know, it makes it more real and authentic, doesn't it? I think so. You know, see a little bit of the person behind the brand. That's right. I'm the only one that could peer into your bedroom right now. Everyone else is only hearing you, so I think we're okay. Cool, cool. that's all right. Then. That's all right. <laughs> so, tell us what's important for us to know about you and about what you're doing at People Lab as it relates to our conversation today. So um, a little bit about People Lab then, for those of, those of you that haven't heard of us, it's probably everybody actually. We are one of the UK's leading employee engagement consultancies. Um, so we work with companies to help create great places to work, essentially to make a positive difference to the people that work there, the customers, the business and, and the wider society as well. Um, we've been going for about nine, ten years now. We work with big global brands all over the world. So some of you might have heard of, like Virgin Atlantic and Adidas, and then, um, you know, public sector companies in the UK um, and SMEs. So, you know, really wide range of sort of uh, diverse clients. But, you know, all, all always sort of focusing on, on creating a great place to work. Um, so that's People Lab. Um, I'm, I'm the, the head of People Lab. I've been running the company now for 10 years. Um, in terms of me and my background, I'm passionate about creating great places to work uh, and making a positive difference to, to the people that work there. And outside of work, I've got three kids that keep me pretty busy. And uh, music is my other passion. So that kind of gives you a little bit of insight into the person behind People Lab. Yeah, and uh, sounds like great stuff. And of course, some of those uh, clients we certainly would recognize. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe let's kind of just dive into something here. Maybe we could talk about what can happen to a company if uh, the employees are happy in their roles, um, and the organization as a whole. I mean, have you seen sort of some examples or some clear-cut things when you have that synergy between a company and employees being happy and um, the organization kind of, you know, all being aligned and working well together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the first piece of evidence for the link between how people feel about working in an organization and, and um the performance of the organization was was documented was published in Harvard Business Review in 98 um, American company Sears you guys will have heard of them obviously mm-hmm. uh, the Sears customer value profit chain that was the first time we kind of seen that the link between how people feel um, how customers feel and impact on the bottom line and since then there's been a kind of you know a huge body of evidence that's been gathered um, to really demonstrate that that getting it right with your people and focusing on on how they feel and creating great places to work and engaging your people has uh, you know, uh, you know, positive impacts on pretty much every business outcome that you would ever wish to impact. So, we know, for example, that companies that have kind of top quartile engagement have twice an annual profit. They have um, around sort of 18% higher customer satisfaction, 40% lower employee turnover. Um, they have you know less accidents. They have more innovation, um, and the list goes on. So, pretty much every business outcome that you would wish to impact, you know, you can see a link between. Uh, engagement, how people feel and, and the outcome. And then, you know, personally in the work that I've done, you know, I, I worked in-house for big corporates over here for 10 years and I, I saw it with my own eyes, which is what inspired me to start People Lab. And, you know, we work with companies to create results like this. So, you know, um, increasing sales within a company to the tune of kind of an extra 2 million in sales. We've helped companies reduce um, employee turnover and save them, you know, half a million to a million pounds. Um, 
you know, the list goes on. So I've kind of seen the evidence myself, but also proven it with, with the work that I do. So it's kind of a what, why, you know, question I have for, for, for people that we work with is, is why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you focus on this stuff? It absolutely is a no-brainer. You know, people are happy to come to work and the business performs better. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's kind of just so much there. I think sometimes people make the mistake of, you know, uh, maybe thinking that uh, having happy employees, having engaged employees means doing whatever it is the employees want or doing whatever it is that they think um, would make a good day. And we certainly have these, you know, you know, Hollywood would give us some great examples of just people with their feet up and not doing any work. And and that's not really the, the connected. I mean, it's sort of an it's a connection between them doing the work that they're good at and that yeah. they can feel great uh, accomplishment around, but also and I'm wondering if you agree with this, aligning with the right employees, because not everyone who wants to work for you is should work for you, right? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, there is a kind of a little bit of an urban myth that, you know, employee engagement is about, you know, jelly bean bars and funky coffee and cool offices. And, you know, one of the things that we've done over the years, we've collected literally thousands of stories from people talking to us about their best experience so you know when you're at your best at work when you've had your best ever time at work no matter when it was you know tell us about that and we've got this amazing kind of um data set of qualitative insight and you know it's it's not it's not rocket science it won't probably surprise you that what we find is that people say you know what um nobody ever sort of says I, i was at my best because i came in at nine left at five and it's dead easy people like a challenge as human beings we like a challenge we like something to get our teeth stuck into so um you know it's about this this sort of intrinsic stuff that kind of really does it for people you know i felt valued i worked with great people you know i had a challenge i had a problem and i overcame it and that felt really good it's not about cruising you know being bored having you know uh, you know funky donuts at 11 o'clock that's not the stuff that really does it for people but you're absolutely right you know there has to be um you know, alignment between uh, an individual's values. And by values, I don't mean the kind of words around the, the walls that say we are open, honest and transparent. I mean, what's important to, to, to an individual and what the company does. So at the very least, they can't be in conflict. So you're absolutely right that, you know, some people working for certain organisations that they're never going to kind of be engaged. So I think that's really important to think about from, you know, an individual's point of view around, you know, what's the kind of place that's going to do it for me. Maybe you can talk a little bit about or share um, how you've used maybe sort of internal co communication or positive engagement to really impact a workforce um, or maybe even uh, help transform a company uh, in your work. Yeah, so there's a, a lot of confusion, I find, between um, internal comms and engagement and not they're used interchangeably and, and, and then they're not the same thing. Um, internal comms is a great lever, a great tactic for engaging a workforce so for example we talk a lot about strategic narrative which is um i understand where the company is going and why i buy into the purpose so it's um it's a bit of a cheesy example but the one that everyone relates to is you know jfk touring nasa in the 60s sees a guy sweeping the floor and says um you know what are you doing and the guy says i'm helping to put a man on the moon that's a great example of you know really good strategic narrative and internal comms has got a really um, you know, important role to play in helping people understand that strategic narrative, that purpose, that direction, and more importantly, the role they play in, in helping to, to achieve that. So, you know, it can play a really important part in that. And I think um, the, other, the other area that internal comms can play a, a critical role is, is helping employees to have a voice, particularly with the kind of... Um, you know, the onset of, of enterprise social media, enterprise social networks, so, you know, workplace by Facebook, Yammer, etc. Um, there's lots of great tools out there that we can use in organisations to help employees feel like they've got a voice, they've got a say, and somebody's listening. So there's a number of ways that internal comms can help to achieve engagement, but it's not the same thing. Uh, it's not the same thing for me at all. Right, right. Well, uh, how then, you know... Um... I guess if we were to look at, at that and we tweak it a little bit um, and maybe talk about positive psychology, um, what have you done there to help organizations uh, achieve their best results? Yeah, so so positive psychology is absolutely my secret source when it comes to engagement. And I have a background as a psychologist. It's kind of what I trained in originally. 
it's what I practiced when I, I first kind of graduated and then sort of fell into the corporate world. And it, it kind of when I was in house myself about sort of 12 years ago, I was working in the field of engagement thinking, you know, this thing called engagement is supposed to be about creating a great place to work. It should be a really cool thing to work on, but it's not. It's really quite depressing and demotivating. I'm kind of, you know, looking after this survey and then every year we get the results and they're not going in the right direction and everybody's rolling their eyes no one wants to work on this it's not having the impact it needs to have and and the problem is what we're doing is we're always focusing on everything that isn't working and we're saying what are the kind of three things in the survey that we need to fix to make things better and i had a bit of an, bit of an epiphany when i was reading around positive psychology as a psychologist i was very interested in it and it was just so obvious to me that we've been asking the wrong questions. So rather than saying what's broken and how can we fix it, we need to, to kind of look um, into the future and say, what does great look like and how can we achieve it? So, for example, those best experience stories that I mentioned before, you know, simply by saying to people, tell me about a time when you loved what you were doing. It doesn't have to be from your current job, from the current employer, it can be from any point in your career. Tell me what that looks like and what was happening. And I can probably gather more insight from a five-minute conversation with, you know, with a team or an individual about their best experiences than any survey would tell me. And it kind of really flipped it on its head. And it's so simple and so obvious, and yet so few companies do it. So using this approach of kind of using like a strength-based approach and using things like appreciative inquiry absolutely transformed the um, the success I was or lack of success that I was having when I was in house and I was looking after employee engagement and um, it, it kind of completely turned things on its head and um, within a year I was working with in a particular organization we'd you know we'd reduced attrition from you know in the 50 50 percent to about 20 percent and we'd increased sales and we'd um, increased customer satisfaction and it was amazing and I thought wow this stuff really works and then I went to my next in-house role and thought you know I'll try it again and have the same sort of results and you know, shared the story, ended some awards, won some awards, started doing some conference speaking on the back of it and had people coming up to me saying, hey, can you come and help us with this? And that's actually how People Lab was born. So, um, you know, for me, positive psychology is the secret source. Taking a strength-based approach is is absolutely transformative in terms of engagement. And it's very simple and very obvious, but it makes a huge difference to the success that you'll have. Yeah, and... You know, I, I, I really like that you kind of brought up the uh, this idea of asking the right questions in surveys, because I've noticed that, you know, you, you send something out to somebody and you say, what do you think of this? I mean, you, let's just say you're going to have a new logo for your company. What do you think of this? Well, immediately everyone you send it to comes back with a critical opinion, right? They're, they're trying to help you. Well, the color, color orange isn't quite right, or this is too round, or I don't like this picture or whatever, right? And they, instead of saying, well, what do you like about this logo? If we asked it in a totally different way, we get totally different answers, you know, so having the right questions because, you know, employees that care may come back with very critical answers and you may then believe that your company is terrible at engagement, but they may just be trying to give you the really nitpicky, fine-tuned things they think could be better, even though they might be generally happy, right? Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, part of the problem with, with the whole sort of survey industry is that, you know, there's the, as you know, there's no universal definition of, of engagement. There are 50 plus definitions out there and counting. Every kind of consultant you speak to when you're looking at a, a survey provider will tell you that their definition is the right definition. So you may be speaking to the Aon Hewitt guys with Say Stay Strive. You might be speaking to Gallup guys with their G12, uh, sorry, Q12. Lots of different approaches to it. And for me, one of my kind of big epiphanies was actually we need to find out first of all what good looks like for our, our people and then based on that we can ask the right questions so you know for example if you take gallup q12 and i'm a big fan of gallup you know i'm, I'm a scientist by 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 nature because psychology is a science mum and dad it is um you know i love evidence <laughs> practice and research you know um and I, I love i love the gallup gallup stuff it's, it's great um but you know taking their q12 you know, I have a best friend at work. You know, for some people that might be critical to their engagement. For other people, it might not be. And you've got to make sure you're asking the right questions because if, if for your audience, for your, for your organization, that isn't important to their engagement, then, you know, if that scores badly, you could do a whole load of work around, well, 
how do we how do we fix this? You might be fixing the wrong thing. Um, you know, classic example. Most surveys I, I you know I've, I've seen organisations use would have questions around things like the process and procedures around here enabled to be me to be efficient. That might score really you know poorly on your survey. You think, well, I've got to fix this. We've got to fix our process and procedures. But in gathering all those best experience stories I talked about, I've never once had somebody say. I was at my best. I was firing on all cylinders. My performance was through the roof because the processes were great. You know, that doesn't happen. So we have to make sure we ask the right questions. Otherwise, we'll fix the wrong stuff. You know, you reminded me of something that happened many years ago in my life when I was coaching swimming. And as the kids get better and better, they practice more and more. So they go from maybe three days a week up to five or six days a week or even you know, two, twi two practices in one day for four or five days. I mean, it really gets intense. And we had a big um, attendance problem. I mean, we had a good team and people liked it, but attendance was not where it needed to be. And, you know, it's tough. Kids, You're asking kids to come a lot of days, a lot more than soccer or baseball, right? But I remember reading a study that the number one factor for why kids come to practice or why they're on a team is because their friends are there. Yeah. It wasn't about the sports or anything else. And I went, wow, that was like huge. It just like this, you know, light bulb went off and I made it all the practices about the interaction and about yeah. their friends, about all that. And attendance doubled. Immediately yeah. we had, it was just totally changed. Yeah. Um, Cause it was all about that, that thing. And that worked for us, but yeah. it didn't cost me any money. I didn't have to do anything different. I had to yell at anybody or call a parent meeting. I just had to make a small change with the kids. So to me, that's the kind of like, epiphany that companies should be looking for if they're trying absolutely. i guess absolutely i mean just a quick example i mean that's a really great great example and um you know we work with um the british council uh, in the uk those of you who don't know who the british council are they kind of wave the flag for britain abroad and they teach english and for them one of the kind of there's, there's a lot of what i call universal themes of engagement that kind of comes out of um, you know, things like self-determination theory that's been popularized by Daniel Pink. So kind of, you know, autonomy, autonomy mastery purpose. Um, so there's some stuff that's the same no matter where you go, who you speak to. But there are always differences in, in companies and even individuals. So the British Council, um, they wave the flag for Britain abroad. They travel all over the world. And unsurprisingly, something that appeared in their kind of best experience stories was taking a risk, having an adventure, which isn't surprising. Think about the sort of work they do. So we need to ask questions, um, you know, that link to that to find out how we can kind of bring that sense of adventure and risk taking, you know, is that in their job? And if it isn't, how can we kind of bring that in? Um, at the other end of the scale, you know, a similar exercise with Rolls-Royce. I'm sure everyone's heard of Rolls-Royce. I mean, the, um, the kind of guys that make, you know, and, uh, kind of, you know, um, planes and engines and submarines and that sort of stuff, not, not the cars. You know, for them, lots of engineers, much more traditional company, much more about I knew exactly what was expected of me. The brief was really clear. So very, very different kind of set of stuff that was important to them that needs to reflect in the kinds of questions that, that we ask them and thinking about, well, how can we bring more of that in, in, into their work? So it's important to do that piece of work with your organization to find out what matters to your people and also by doing that it shows them that you care and that you're not just making assumptions in an ivory tower about what engages them you know like the, the classic example of the, the the company that you know hears on their survey that people want to be recognized more and they you know they introduce a glittering you know award scheme you know with a big annual dinner and people say you know what i just wanted you to say thank you and that that was it so it's, it's a great process to sort of start the conversation and say what really matters to you and how can we get more of it in, in your job right absolutely well um one of the things we've been having fun asking our guests this year is is there an app or a gadget or a process or something that you have started implementing into your life that maybe we might uh, steal or, or explore or, or add to our own program? It's a really tough question. I, I mean, this is the hardest question, I think, um, to answer. <laughs> um, one of the things, um, I'm sure you guys will have heard of him, but I'm a big fan of, of Sean Aker. Um, if you haven't checked out since Sean Aker, check out his TED Talk. It's amazing. It's one of my, best, my favorite TED Talks. It's hilarious. But um, kind of looking at about how we can rewire our brains in 21 days and I use his work a lot. And um, when I first, uh, I went back to, to college, uh, as you call it, college a few years ago to sort of formalize my positive psychology training. And um, 
and came across meditation and um you know i'm i wasn't really into meditations about a bit bit hippie and airy fairy Mm -hmm. to me but the science was so strong i thought i've got to do this so i'm a big fan of the headspace app which i I don't know if you've heard of it or not but it's just 10 minutes a day so i I use that a lot and i talk to people about it and if they haven't heard of it i say yeah just use headspace so you've heard of it already but that's probably the one thing that's been quite you know uh it's been been a big, big game changer for me Meditation has come up quite a bit on this show this year when, when that question has come up. So whether it's Headspace or one of the other ones out there, um, I, I actually use an app called Brain.fm, and um, they will you play different sounds based on what you want to do. So if you want to concentrate, it, the sound helps you concentrate. Uh, or if you want to relax, it helps you relax or to meditate. So that's always that's been been good for me. So. I would check that one out then, Chris, definitely. Yeah, I had I used that one a lot and wrote my book. I was like, okay, I need to focus. I need to have this going. So anyways, well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and everything that you're doing? Yeah. Okay, well, talking of books, the second edition of my book has just come out. So um, that's a great place to start if you want to find out more about how to use positive psychology in engagement. Um, the book's simply called Employee Engagement, um, published by Kogan Page. You can find it on Amazon. In terms of getting hold of me, if you want to drop me a line, my email is emma at peoplelab.co.uk. Um, you can check out the People Lab website, which is peoplelab.co.uk, and contact me through that. My contact details are on that. And I'm also on Twitter uh, at miss underscore comms lab. Um, so on there quite a lot as well. So lovely to hear from you. Hopefully get some questions and some, some uh, debate going from this conversation. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I didn't realize we were both on the Kogan page uh, label or, or site. So that's exciting. And hopefully we oh, can, okay. uh, yeah, cross paths that way. And um, definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Emma. And uh, hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool stuff you're doing or maybe the next book or whatever it may be. We'd love to have you come back and share more of your wisdom. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So next week, my guests will include David DeSouza membership director of CIPD, and Ryan McGrory, the employee experience manager at Yoey Insurance. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 